Life, learning, leadership, the Llama Lounge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Scott Green, and today we have the entire Llama team on board today. Joe Bogdan, Frankie Z, and Jose Ramon. How's it going, fellas? What up, what up? What's what going up? on? We are all on four different time zones, but we all look <laughs> good with matching hats and sweatshirts and all that stuff. So uh, how are things in your neck of the wood, Joe? uh not bad it's just after midnight here in the middle east (laughs) (laughs) yeah enjoying it hopefully i'll be able to uh just carry on throughout this entire recording but if i doze off i know you guys got it maybe yeah (laughs) he'll 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 he'll, his internet will drop that quote unquote drop and 100 he'll blame it on the internet frank how are you sir i'm doing well everything seems to be you know uh, status quo for you know COVID, COVID days. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's turning into Groundhog Day a little bit. <laughs> All as well. I hear you, Jose, my man. What's up? Nothing much, man. Just ready to watch this UFC fight here in a couple yes. hours. Yes, sir. All right. So we're doing things we got, a little bit differently, guys. Oh, go ahead, Frank. Go ahead. Yeah. Who you got, Jose? I'm gonna go with McGregor. Yeah. Yeah, I like Dustin, but uh, yeah, I have to go with McGregor. And then I have to go with Chandler. And then I have to go with uh, Sanchez. And then I have to go with Joanne Calderwood. And then I have to go with Amanda Rebus. So those are my picks. Oh, JoJo's fighting? She is. She's fighting Jessica I. So what's going to happen is we have to make our picks now. And then like when a few weeks and when this is published, we can be fools if we we were wrong. So people can call us out. Nice. Accountability. I'm going to just go with everything that Scott said. Yeah. I'm gonna go everything opposite of what Scott said. Oh, you're in for a nice. rough night, dude. Nice. <laughs> you're lucky I don't bet. You're lucky I don't gamble. Because I do that sometimes. I'll watch it with my kids and I'll be like, who do you got? And they'll be like pick somebody. I'm like, okay, I'm going for the other person. And it's a fight that's already, you know, been aired a few weeks. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm that's like, messed up. I'm like, I, I sense a knockout in round two. No way. And all of a sudden, wow, dad. I'm like, hey, what can I say? Good thing you don't owe me money now. <laughs> yeah. So, gentlemen, we're doing things a little bit different today. We uh, we reached out on Facebook and uh, some other uh, avenues, and we re- just kind of reached out and said, hey, what are some questions that people might have for uh, the Llama team? We all have uh, various backgrounds in leadership, through military, through the civilian community, um, worked in a lot of different types of organizations. And so um, we got some pretty good questions. We got a, a whole lot of questions. So for those people that actually sent something in, uh, we really appreciate the uh, the input. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to cover every single question that we got, but we're going to try to uh, cover quite a few of them. And so the way we'll do this is I will uh, read off the questions and then, you know, maybe we'll all take a turn answering it or maybe I'll just uh, throw it to one of the guys. So are you guys ready for this? Uh, I think so. All right. Yeah, yeah. Who's seen, have you guys seen these at all? Have you guys had a chance to see them? prior to so so when i gathered them i just shot them and i didn't really read them so okay not 
Yeah, I except for the them. compassion one, the compassion one. But <laughs> I don't think we're going to use that since we all, all right. interpreted that wrong I'll differently. That. So, that. well, that's a good one then. That's one <laughs> that we can get into. <laughs> all right, we should so do just, that one. So we'll start off with this one. It's it's kind of a um, it's a basic question, and I think it's something that get at get gets asked by a lot of, to a lot of leaders. But what is your definition of leadership, Frankie Z? Mm. So the first thing that comes to mind is. Um, being a good follower. Mm. That's the first thing that comes to mind because you can't, you can't be a good leader and you can't refine your leadership philosophies and you can't take care of people unless, unless you perfect the followership thing, right? Once you learn how to be a good follower um, and build this kind of uh, um, the servant attitude and the servant behavior um, that, that really translates into someone that people want to work for you know someone that uh, people that like hey i want to be on this team Uh, and that's to me just being a good follower okay Mm -hmm. how about you uh jose uh along the same vein i think uh when i was a young airman there was a there was a saying on this coin that i received and it said uh, the chiefliest among you is servant to all Mm -hmm. and i think that that it's basically saying that a leader is the Mm -hmm. one who's willing to do what it takes for everyone to succeed uh, above their own desires is, is to push the organization forward, um, but really by inspiring others and serving them so that they can do it because it takes a lot more than one. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, that's what right? I meant to say. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> he, got, he gave the cliff nose version. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. <laughs> so for me, it's, uh, it's, it's it kind of encompasses my leadership philosophy, which is just like, um, what the other guy said was about service and serving by providing all that, the development, everything that, that, you know, people need around you and that's including instilling discipline and then recognizing the amazing things people do and constantly improving oneself and improving the people around you in the environment that you get to influence. So to me, it's all about service recognition and improvement. Nice. Nice. Let, all right. Let me ask a, let me ask a follow-up question though, is, mm-hmm. you know, now that we're all in leadership positions today, um, is it what you thought it, w- it was going to be? You know, for me, something that changed that I didn't think it was going to happen, I guess, because, you know, we're in the grind, climbing the ladder for a long point, and then you get there. And I think one of the things that really um, just opened up my eyes, because we spoke servant leadership so much, you know, we talk about it a lot. But once, um, once I became a chief master sergeant, I realized it was such a liberating moment where it was literally just serving now, because what else is there to do? You know, I mean, I just felt like so. And I remember the moment when it happened was um, somebody asked me to do something and I looked at it and I was thinking, that's some like elementary stuff. You know, I was like, I just didn't think I'd be doing that. But I was like, oh, this is liberating. I don't mind doing that. Like whatever, (laughs) you know, crossing some T's and dotting some I's to make my boss look better or helping somebody else. I was like, huh, this is fine. So it was like a liberating moment. It was like an epiphany. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, um, the, the more I moved up in an organization, the more I realized the less we all know. Because I, I remember being sure. a, a junior person <laughs> yes. thinking, yep. I, I remember yep. being a junior person in an organization and looking up to the people in like management and leadership yeah. roles. And they thinking, know everything. They know everything. And then when you get up there, you're like, 
like oh uh, they, they mm. we really don't have yeah. it all the, figured out the, might, the mighty oz you pull back yeah. the curtain <laughs> <laughs> exactly so the, like the, the more uh, the higher up i move in an organization or the more i i work with leaders of different organizations through um, my, my field and training and development the more i realize that we all have more to grow and we can there's always mm. something more to learn <clears throat> yeah i think i think the same i think you know um sometimes you watch movies or you see these people and you know they say something and things just happen and then you get there and you realize huh by the time they said it if they were affected they probably already unfrozen some of those things there's probably a lot of other conversations that are already happening before you even get to that point and i think the amount of time you spend thinking about things that are going on within your organization about your people I did not realize how much that was going to encompass. And it becomes a part of you because it's not just on duty off duty. You're, you're thinking about the folks that are hurting within your squadron and you, you mm. want to do things to help them. But um, you also have to develop the folks beneath you and you have to encourage them and show them how to show compassion because you can't do it yourself. Um, I think that's, that's different too. Yeah, definitely. How about you, Frank? Did it change? Um you know, I thought that I thought that growing up, like, you, you know, to be a chief, you had to be this this cookie cutter mentality. You had to think like this, you had to act like this, and you just have to be this way. But then when I got there, I'm like, you don't have to be any of that. You could just be yeah. yourself, right? Be and yourself. and and yeah. in these meetings, no one knows the answer, right? Like, no one. There's not the commander doesn't know, you know, the chief doesn't know. It's like it's like nobody knows. So mm-hmm. it's like, what do you do? You you just use your own experiences that got you to that position in the first place yep. to right. do the problem solving. And I just thought that was really, really interesting. Something that um I didn't realize until, you know, uh <laughs> got into the position of leadership was how how fewer things you do, but how much more impactful or draining those few things are, right? And you think about like, you know, when you're younger in the in the food chain, you're, you're kind of more um, doing the long work. And then as you elevate higher, you're doing more of the hard work where you're, instead of doing like 10 things and 20 things knocking them out, you're doing three things and they're absolutely draining because there's no right answer anymore. It's just like a lot of times by the time the problem gets to your level, it's, it's, what's the least bad answer, right? Sometimes, and it's just exhausting, you know, and I've noticed mm-hmm. that quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. So let's, let's jump into another question. How can young managers help their uh, subordinates or the people they supervise develop a sense of pride for their work and their service versus just treating what they do as a job, just a job? Uh, I'll try. I was, I, was, I was waiting for you all to jump in there. I was like, oh, I should probably throw it towards somebody. Well, you know, uh, Joe and I were talking, was talking to someone earlier today, and uh, he said something that um, we, were, we were talking about this idea of ownership. And mm-hmm. um, I think that oftentimes, if you don't find purpose in what you're doing, it is difficult to do something, um, especially if you don't have any ownership over it. Um, and And if you define the objective or the goal so much that they don't have to think then it's it's kind of mind-numbing mm-hmm. um but i think for me to find and give them that that kind of stuff is you have to you kind of give them the left and the right boundaries 
and then challenge them to come up with an answer and kind of Jedi mind trick them to get to where you need them to be mm-hmm. um, kind of thing and give them that ownership, um, give them the room where they, they could potentially fail, but um, you got to give them the chance to win, you know? And yeah. once they get those little wins and you keep building, building up more and more, then I think they find purpose, they find the ownership and then, you know, they can be creative and find other ways of doing it, which may not look exactly like you thought it should, but that's mm-hmm. okay. Cause we can still get it done. Cause in the end they've now developed um, some of those skills and some of the resiliency, if they don't get it right the first time and they can get, they can get after it the next time, uh, hopefully to the point where you don't even have to give them the left and the right, they're already free flowing and, and they're able to get there without you giving them any kind of that direction. That's good. That's good. How about you, Frank? This, uh, this question is, um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but when, you know, I think about how do you, how do you motivate someone who just doesn't, um, doesn't understand what the job is and really isn't passionate about the job that they're doing to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've been toying around with this, this uh, article that I want to write eventually is that, um, you know, when you're, when you're speaking to your teammates, I think as a leader, you have to remind them that it's okay that you're not completely bought in yet. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay. You don't have to be like I'm. I'm Mr. Air Force and Mrs. Air Force, and this is what I want to be when I grow up. You know, I want to be a chief master in the Air Force. Like, it's okay that you you don't want to be that, right? It's okay that you just want to do four years. It's okay that you're just, hey, this is not what my passion is. This is just kind of a stepping stone to where I want to be. So, I say all that to say when you explain it to, you know, your teammates and say, Hey, here's the job that we're doing. Um, and here's why we're doing it. And, and so I understand what you're going through. Um, if you're not passionate about this job, right. Because it, it strips down all this, um, strips down all this supervisor to subordinate thing. And then just says, Hey, I'm, I'm a human being just like you are. Mm-hmm. And we're get, we're in this together. And to me, that builds, uh, that builds a little bit of crest, credibility and trust, right? Yeah. It builds trust. And trust is really what I'm trying to get at is trust is what inspires and motivates people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Joe, you want to take a crack at this one too? Yeah. I was just kind of building off what they both talked about. I think sometimes I'll be honest with you. I've been in circumstances where um, just being in the military where you're in an environment and the purpose isn't really there anymore. Like you kind of missed the war and you're still mm-hmm. there for a little bit. Right. And you're holding some stuff down. And a lot of times it's really hard to tie your teams to the purpose. But something that I found is just like what Frank was saying that, you know, if you try to find ways to build that trust, well, maybe it's just investing in them as human beings, right. Spending that time to treat them. Like maybe we're all here. We're, we're here to do a job and maybe it's really t- hard to tie it to your personal purpose or a bigger purpose in that moment, but maybe we'll just at least try to walk out of here all a little bit better. Right. So finding that way, you know, just to help them improve, improve the environment. And then I like what Jose said was about, you know, empowering, but maybe giving those left and rights, because I just got done reading one mission and and they were talking about uh, how sometimes you just 
if you empower people and you just kind of give them the, the the free, like just, you could do whatever you want, full autonomy, people start freezing because they have too many options. Right. You know, and I talked about it. I joked about it on my Facebook post. I was like, this is like what happens when I go to a cheesecake factory and exactly. open up the menu. I just don't know what to do anymore. Right. <laughs> just order a beer and sit there because I don't know what to do. <laughs> so it's like um, it's, it's sometimes it's good to at least give some lefts and rights boundaries to your folks when you're empowering them or they just might freeze. Yeah. I use that analogy a lot, that cheesecake factory menu when I'm when I'm working with clients and and uh, some folks are like, we do this, this, we can offer this training, this training, this training, this training, this training. And a lot of times they just don't know what they need. Right. And so they're they're counting the reason they came to us is because we they want us to tell them. So I use that whole analogy like you can't give them the cheesecake factory menu. You're, mm-hmm. You you just overwhelm them and then they yeah. freeze up. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, these are, in and out. In and out menu. The in and out menu. Yeah. <laughs> the secret menu. Yeah. The <laughs> secret in and out menu is the best one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and to kind of touch on this, you know, I, I think I think it's important to develop pride in anything you do, but you shouldn't expect everybody to want to grow in that organization. Like there, there are some people that they're just they're I'm I'm okay with them coming in, getting the job done, and going home, mm-hmm. right? Not because not if you look at the military, the 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 structure, not everyone's going to get promoted to staff or tech or master or senior or chief. Not everyone. It's not going to happen for everybody. But for those folks that are just comfortable with like, hey, I just want to come in and do a great job and go home. That's good. I I think that's fine because we're going to have people that leave. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have people that leave that we don't want to leave. Uh, We had an article written by um, Lane Franklin. for the Llama Lounge, the Llama Leadership website a long time ago. And this kid was dynamic. I loved, he, he was one of my troops and uh, smart, brilliant, um, hardworking. And uh, I wanted him to stay. I, I wanted him to stay in the military, but uh, his goal was to come in, do his four years, get some education. And he's, he's right. Native American and go back and, and, and work in his reservation. And guess what he did? He did everything we asked him to do. He did it with a sense of pride. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he was, when his time was up, he was ready to go, go back home. So um, yeah. it's, for some people, it's going to be a job. It's a means to an end. And look at the way we recruit sometimes too. Yeah. Because uh, remember, probably 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago, we started recruiting, join the military because you get benefit, 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 benefit. Right. And, and somewhere we lost the recruitment to join for pride or join for service. And so that's where you get folks negotiating their contracts and negotiating with recruiters. You know, I'll come in if I can get this and now I have to have this job and this job. So um, for a lot of people, that, that yeah. sense of pride may not be there initially, but uh, I think there's ways, you know, I, I think, Joe, you do a great job of um, encouraging people to uh, protect the family name. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the one on their chest or the one they left back home or whatever, mm-hmm. um, everything you do, you do it for somebody else. And that, that can help with developing pride in what you do. And not necessarily yeah. thinking about it as a career. Yeah, we shouldn't take it personally either when people like, you know, they use it for a means to an end or, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I, I think about some of um, the sermons I've even um, watched and we talk about like even the people that come into our lives relationship wise, sometimes it's just they're there for a season. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not there for seasons, you know, but they still bring value to your life for that one season. Right. And, and that might be the case, too, with some of the folks. And what I think our goal is should always as leaders is try to help them be better, whether better for the next season, whether it's with us or with someone else. You know? mm-hmm. 
So here's a here's a follow up then um, when we're talking about you know just somebody's inspiration or motivation. Do you, do you value box checkers? Yeah, mm. I do. No, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it it just depends. It it yeah. depends. I mean, as a as a get the job done. Well, what do you mean by box checkers though? Someone, you... someone who's in an organization just to check the box, just and someone who does something, whether that's a, a project or mm -hmm. be a part of an organization, just to check the box, just to say I've done that and that's gonna go on my resume and I'm out. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. But you're you know, is there a way to defeat that? Because you're gonna have that everywhere you go. You you have that in in the civilian world, uh, but from a mission to mission standpoint, did they get the job done? You yeah, because because everyone's got some kind of motive, right? Mm -hmm. You know why 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 do we volunteer for certain things? Uh, obviously, there's some sort of self gratification that comes from it, right? Whether it's a promotion yeah. or whether it's uh, I just feel good about doing it. So I don't know. What are your yeah. thoughts? I don't have a blanket. Um, I don't like, I, I don't have a blanket statement of I do not value those people. Cause I think depending on what the, what, like you said, their heart posture is, what, what's their intent, you know? And if they're, if they're coming into your organization or whatever it might be to add something to the resume, or um, hopefully they're just coming through to get some experience or whatever it might be. Hopefully they brought some value while they were there. Yeah. Um, yeah. If they don't have good intent, you know, they're just there literally to just try to get promoted. And that's all they're trying to do. Um, it might be different, but who, who am I to judge that too, right? I, I, I used to talk about all the times, like, you know, when people are volunteering to go um, work at the soup kitchen, you know, when we we're younger, mm -hmm. people volunteering to go to the soup kitchen and like, oh, I just needed a bullet for an EPR. Well, the homeless person that's getting soup doesn't care. Right. Care, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. What's the result there? And then, I, and then I, also maybe they'll figure out that that's what they like to do and they yeah. would have never went. Except the, that they were there to block it, you know, check a box. Yeah. The only downfall is when they say they don't win an award or they don't get promoted and then mm -hmm. they change their mentality to, man, I volunteered that soup kitchen for nothing. Right. So character right? issue. There, right? <laughs> so, so yeah. So that's where I think the challenge comes in. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if they're, if they're, if they're lying, relying on those check the box moments, mm -hmm completely to get them you know whatever recognition they're looking for that that can be a challenge yeah but i mean i mean, I mean think about it to make senior master sergeant to make, even master sergeant now right because there's boards for master sergeant yeah mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so at some at, to some degree folks are trying to get recognized and and you know capture the things that they're doing and i can i can say not none of us do everything on those papers because we were motivated to do them right you you look at every single award or decoration or whatever you can't say over the past 10 years i've been super motivated about every project that i've worked on mm -hmm. but you took credit for it right so mm -hmm. it's a tough question it's kind of a tough question i'm actually having a harder time with it than i thought it would mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Thanks for I mean, thanks for thanks for throwing the wrench in there, Frank. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's been plenty of times where I, I ask that question because I've worked with a lot of folks that are really there, not necessarily because they're passionate about leading this event or passionate yeah. about being on this committee, and and I just happen to be the project manager. And someone might say, "Oh, they're just here to check a box." Yeah. And for and for me, I never had a problem with that. I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Do, but do your job. 
right? Right. Yeah. Your, the, Did they do the job, job? Do do what you signed up to say that you were going to do this thing. Yeah. Do that, right? And I have I have no issues with that. Yeah. You don't have to be the freaking passionate about gift wrapping. If you just want to do right. gift wrapping yeah. and, and get out of there, then, then I'm cool with that. I, I think the biggest challenge I had was I would recognize those people that you would see everywhere and they had their name on everything. And you know, it's chronologically impossible for them to make the impact that they are taking credit for. They, there's no way uh, they were able to do all this in one week, you know, and have oh. this impact and this and have this impact there. And, and th so that's where I would have an issue, right? If, if it's the people that are just popping their head in the door and just to get their name on the on the on the roster, uh, mm -hmm. that's where the challenge is. But if they actually did the work, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> all right. So let's. Um, I would say that uh, uh, all four of us really have had pretty good careers. Um, so the next question is: What is one thing you wish you would have done at the beginning of your career? Hmm. Yeah, I saw this question and. Um, it's not something that I wish I would have done differently, but I often wonder what what happens if I would have gotten out of the Air Force. Mm. What would my life look like today? Um, uh, I have a I have conversations with my brother, um, you know, every couple of weeks, and he did four years as a KC one thirty five avionics guy. Um, did four years and got out of the Air Force, and so that was probably. 15 years ago now since he was last in the Air Force and I talked to him about it and he's like man Air Force is just a distant memory now he's like I don't even know what what it means to do a PT test or <laughs> or or to shave every day he's like it's, it's just and so I just wonder what my life would look like uh had I had I done my four years and uh, and bounced yeah and bounced yeah. did something different yeah I, I would say for me because uh, when I, when I first came in, my first my first duty station, my first department that I worked in, um, it was mostly civilian ran, and we didn't, and it was a huge uh, flight, and we didn't have a lot of deliberate development and mm -hmm. and kind of mentoring, and so I didn't, I, I never fully grasped the first few years of what was available to me as far as career growth and career broadening. Yeah. And so I, and I'll, and, and it's just because most of the people I worked with treated it like a job. And so that's what I did was I treated it like a job. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until like, maybe I was like nine or 10 years in the military that I really started looking at like, Oh, this is, this is a big deal. This is important stuff. And, and really mm -hmm. started getting serious about my career. So I would say that, um, one thing that I would have done if, if I could have started over was probably um, just taking advantage of all that's available to me, whether it's professional development, whether it's um, community resources. Um, mm -hmm. I would have taken advantage of those things earlier on in my career. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I don't think I, like Frank said, I, there's nothing that I would necessarily change. Um, one thing that I often think about, and it's probably a real tactical level thing, is um, if I would have had the opportunity to become a unit deployment manager, I would have loved that to ha have that opportunity. Now, timing never really worked out, but um, just thinking about it now, and even in the last like 
six years or so of my career, I thought about like uh, mastering your craft and how important that is. And, you know, for us, our craft is, is Warcraft, right. And understanding how we get to uh, how do we go to war and everything else. And I think that just, if I can study everything that a UDM does as much as possible, I can even go to classes and everything, but actually doing the, nothing like nothing, you know, really, makes up for doing the job nothing replaces that like doing that job so i right. think um that's something that i just wish i would have had the opportunity to do um I, and if i would have had one i would have loved to have taken that opportunity i think uh when you know I was, i'm listening to you guys sorry i kind of jumped off the video but um i think for me one of the things that i'm i'm realizing now and when you when you see the state of our air force and you read some of the accelerate change or lose and all that kind of stuff um there's a real big push in there about being less risk averse. And mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot because I think there were times in my career where uh, I chose the safe path mm -hmm. uh, versus maybe something that would be a little bit more risky, whether it was a program or, or ideas or assignments and stuff like that. And I think that there is value in finding those folks that can be less risk averse, right? Given, mm -hmm. given it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, right? Not, not doing stuff like that, but just finding the ability to innovate and trying to find stuff. So for me, um, I, I wish I would have learned to be less risk averse earlier. Let it ride. Got it. Got send, it. Send it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here's a good one. Uh, I'm interested in hearing everyone's response on this one. How do you motivate the unmotivated? Oh, you don't. You just kind of let them go. <laughs> I, actually, actually, I want to take a, the first track at this. Yeah. Everybody's motivated. It just—it's about finding out what they're motivated for, mm -hmm. what they're motivated about, right? Not everyone's going to be motivated for the mission or the job or the career. Some are just motivated just to go home and play video games, right? That's that's mm -hmm. their that's their main objective, and 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 that's where I think it's important that leaders you get to know your people at that personal level without getting too deep into their, their lives, but know them well enough uh, to find out what motivates them. Because like I said, everyone's motivated by something. Everyone, everyone has some sort of objective or goal or something that, that makes them happy. And so how do you motivate them unmotivated? And I'm assuming this person's asking because like we talked about earlier, not everybody's going to be that rock star in your department, right? Some people just want to come home or go, come to work, do the job and go home. What do you guys think? What about you, Joe? Um, I think just like what you said, if you get to know your people, you'll probably know what motivates them. They ties to their values. Right. And some people just aren't motivated by the same things. I would say that, um, that we have to be careful as leaders to assume someone's not motivated simply because they don't work the same way we do, you know, right. project, project our own values on them. I mean, let's say somebody comes to work every day and you tell them to make 12 widgets and they come to work every day and they make 12 widgets, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what mm -hmm. they do. They don't make 13, right. they make 11, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they they're going to make 12 widgets, you know <laughs> what I mean? And then some, some of us will take that as how come you're not motivated? You know, your potential is so much higher and everything else. Well, literally that's all they want to do. They mm -hmm. just want to come and do their 12 widgets and go home. They don't, they don't, you know, care for anything else beyond that. And I think that um, that's, that's cool too. You know, that yeah. those are, we need those people. The only time I think that's a problem is when that, 
that person who's, who only wants to do 12 widgets wants to get promoted like the person who makes 16 widgets you know right, what i mean right and, yeah and then they, they still only it. want to do 12 widgets so they have a they have an inconsistency in what they're doing versus what they're saying yeah. they want you know yeah there, there are going to be things in every position that as, as if you want to grow into it and and move up there's going to be more responsibility and it's not always going to be things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a tough lesson for, I think a, a lot of folks to learn. I, I had young troops in my departments growing up who they, they got upset that they didn't get rotated to a certain position or, or were disgruntled because they weren't selected for an award. And, and I go back to them. I go, you, well, you've been telling me from day one that you're just going to do four years and get out and you're just mm-hmm. uh you just want to be left alone and just want to come in and do your job and that's it. Well, I need someone that's going to stay a little bit longer to learn all these different rotations so that that way when they do get promoted and do get um, uh, moved up in rank that they're able to lead in those areas. So, yeah. How about you, Frank? So, uh, you know, one of the story, story that comes to mind is I had uh, worked with somebody who was like, hey, um, only got a couple years left and I'm going to retire. Mm-hmm. that person talked about that like almost weekly i heard that come out of their mouth i'm gonna retire so are you talking about me up, <laughs> 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 what ended up happening is that person didn't get the same opportunities as somebody else right because um they just they weren't they weren't bought in at that time right yeah and so um, the, so then when the leadership had to determine, okay, well, we have this thing, we have this opportunity, we have this project, um, they, they didn't give it to that person because the, the, they didn't know what to expect from that person. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to give it to somebody else who was bought in, right. somebody else mm-hmm. who was invested into the organization. <clears throat> and, that, and that's probably a better word than bought in. Yeah. Are you invested in the organization? Can we trust right. that you're going to take this thing and and a hundred percent with it all right so so then that person started to realize what was happening and then they had a problem with it mm-hmm. they're like what's going on how come mm-hmm. how come i'm getting overlooked for for all of these things i'm like what are you talking about you just you're retiring he's like mm-hmm. but but that's not that's not fair and i'm like listen man you know um you you have to understand like the perception that you put off is is going to be how people treat you mm-hmm. and that's just the, that's just the real world right mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where if you're wearing the uniform if you're working at amazon if if you act like you care then people are going to you know, probably give you some opportunities right and so that changed yeah. that person's behavior um and and now that person is a different person yeah like, they, they, they did they end start up checking a block after? or did they check to start checking the block <laughs> uh, honestly they transformed yeah. okay yeah they yeah. transformed that that little period in, in their career transformed them to say well i can't act like this because now i'm not going to be uh i'm not going to be perceived as someone that they can trust i'm not going to be perceived as someone mm-hmm. that um can be ready for the next opportunity yeah um, and, and that person now is, um, you know, back, back in on track. Yeah. And maybe, yeah. maybe that was a moment in their life where they were just kind of in a rut of some sort and couldn't figure it out. And so their, mm-hmm. their mindset was I'm done, I'm ready to go, you know, 
Yeah. Um, so maybe that was the thing that snapped him out of it. Like, well, you know, uh, here, here's, here's what's you're going to be, here's, here's how you're going to be treated from here until your retirement date. Right. Don't expect all the, you know, all yeah. the good stuff. I mean, you treat people, everyone has the, the baseline of respect that you have to treat them with. So I don't want to get that confused, but um, so yeah. what, what different opportunities is, probably aren't going to get thrown at you. Yeah. What you'll find though, is you know, everybody just has some sort of story about why they behave the way they do. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether they got burned by a supervisor and this is the reason why they act the way they act today, or, right. you know, they got in trouble and they felt like it, it was, you know, it wasn't, uh-huh justice and it, they got you know mistreated and then that was the reason why they act today well if you're the new supervisor man that's an opportunity that is an opportunity to tell that teammate to say listen you got a clean sake we can we can start brand new um and that's the awesome thing about being in a military and pcsing mm-hmm. you can start brand new start whatever yeah. whatever, yeah. whatever happened to you at base x doesn't yeah. have to happen to you at, at your new base yeah yeah. So you recommend not coming to your brand new base telling everybody you're about to retire. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like it's, it, we live in a world of constraints, you know, where there's not that many, there's not that many resources out there for everybody, especially when it comes to training opportunities and leadership opportunities. If you're putting out there very obvious, you know, just very openly that you're not interested and in that you're yeah. just, you're interested in retiring and moving on. And, you know, I'm not going to not, you know, uh, want to lead you, but I'm gonna probably lead you in a different direction. Like, Hey, let's talk about what making sure you're set up for your next career. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to add any complications to your life. I want you to have a smooth transition. I'm not going to throw a bunch of extra responsibility if right. I know your desire is to just get out mm-hmm. in the next six oh. months or whatever. So then the follow-up question is, and Jose, I'm not sure if you're going to chime in. Come on. Um, the follow-up question is, there's a philosophy that leaders leaders feed the hungry, mm-hmm. right? Do you feed the hungry or do you, is this, is this a balanced thing here where everyone gets a fair share of the opportunities? So yeah. I would say Jose. that I think the opportunity does have to be fair, right? So everybody has a chance to go to opportunity, right? And I think you, you put that out there. But I think what I'm hearing from everybody else is, is something, you know, you have to balance because um, sometimes opportunities is development and growth. And that development and growth normally is intended so that you can keep the force going, right? And if you, mm-hmm. if you give some of those opportunities where they can become, um, you know, they're immersed in a different, thing they get a certification or something for someone that has come to you and said look i appreciate what you guys are doing but my path is to separate in a year this certification Mm -hmm. takes six months it doesn't make sense to give that person that that opportunity in that regard because they're going to be gone in six months and your Mm -hmm. unit's going to suffer for it because now it's no longer there but Mm -hmm. i i think also you know we got to be cautious too because people can change their mind right and uh i think you know, for me, what I try to do is I try to review everybody's record, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes they just don't know that they're right there. They're on the cusp mm-hmm. of greatness or you just got to nudge them a little bit or whatever. And and I think it's imperative that a leader takes the time to look at them and, and maybe identify, look, you're right there. You know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe you slacked off a little bit or you didn't do what you wanted to do, right? The, the check the box thing. Um, 
but you have all the other things I need you to get on the field. But in order to get on the field, you need to check those boxes, right? If, if, if it's, if it's for football, right, you gotta, you gotta run a certain 40 time, right? If you Mm -hmm. don't run that certain 40 time, they don't care if you can't throw the ball, if you can throw the ball, you know, 150 yards, it doesn't matter because, because you're going to get sacked and you're never going to get a chance to throw it. And, and I think for me, um, you know, when, when you have those folks in your unit, it can be difficult. And as long as, like you guys said, as long as they are invested, I'm with them. The only time mm-hmm. I take issue is when somebody goes road and then they shirk their responsibilities and their airmen suffer for it because they see a leader that isn't a leader and they aren't doing what they're supposed mm-hmm. to do. And then those airmen think that that's mm-hmm. the way when it isn't. That's when I have right. issues with it. Yeah. And I, I, Good point. I, Good point. I, I, I try to put them in a position where, okay, you're not going to affect them. If that's what you're going to do, then maybe I need to put you in a position where you're not going to affect those airmen as much and your records are going to reflect. And if you have a change of heart later on, mm-hmm. I'm still going to mark you accordingly to your performance that you've displayed to me. Right. Because, you know, you look at, um, I know it's a handbook now, but the enlisted force structure, or you look at other requirements just from within your AFSC, if you're not meeting them, you're not meeting them. You're going to right. be marked mm-hmm. appropriately. You know right, what I mean? Right. But yeah. So that doesn't a, give you, yeah. So, so because we're not throwing extra at you, mm-hmm. And, and providing extra opportunities that doesn't give you the green light to slack right you're, yeah, you're, you're still, still a certain paid. level of you're, yeah you're right if you're a you know master sergeant you're still expected to work to a master sergeant level whether yeah, you're getting yes. out in three weeks or three years um, but don't expect i'm going to give you some hot high visibility projects if you're telling me every other week that you're done you're on the downside and, and you're ready to get out yeah. um yeah, I think so it, you it's, know it's, it's it's a balance. Yeah, when and, it comes and, to people, though, you have to invest. I mean, like to me, there, there's a couple different lines of effort here. For me, I'm still investing in that person, whether mm-hmm. they're going to retire or they're staying in. But at the same time, I'm a steward of resources and the organization's Correct. resources. I have to be very careful, you know, and I have to be, you know, prudent with how I'm going to invest those. So you got to mm-hmm. show me a little bit to make. To, to make it worth investing resources that are not necessarily mine. I'm just a steward of those resources, yeah. you know? And, and I got to trust that you're going to come through for me, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. um, there's nothing worse than having, say, like a wing commander or a command chief comes to you, to your organization, says, hey, I need someone that can handle this project. We have this DV coming through or something like that. And you put who you think is one of your best people and they drop the bomb because they got... Man, what is that noise? Another I thought that was Is that, that was me? Stomach. <laughs> you <I'm> you hungry? <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I have noise cancellation uh, headphones on, but right now I'm just wearing these earbuds, so I, I don't know where it's coming from. But um, you just don't want anybody dropping the ball, right? Um, yeah. And so it's one of those things where they have to understand that you're gonna you want to take care of them, but for certain experiences and certain opportunities you got to give the people that are 100 percent all in like like frank said that are bought in so all right that was a great great question great uh answers guys so the next one is is the highlight i think because i think there was some confusion on what this uh term oh my means. goodness but compassion. this is um <laughs> i got it right <laughs> the, the question is compassion fatigue excuse me compassion fatigue what does it look like and how do you move past it um, I'll take the, you want me to take the lead on this one since I, I might have a little bit yes. experience yes. with it. And so me and com- Frank will just answer a whole different question. We'll <laughs> yeah. just inter- how we interpreted the question. So, <laughs> so, 
Can I just say it's when someone comes in your office and you just don't feel like dealing with the crap. You're like, just get out of my office. Right? Just get out yeah. of my office. That, that's what that's that's I'm I'm uh, fatigued by having to show compassion <laughs> yeah. and co- and coddling people. That's what we're talking about, right? That's no, no. <laughs> Negative no, I mean, writer. <laughs> yeah. So compassion fatigue. So um, I've had the opportunity to work uh, with a um, uh, a behavioral behavioral health organization, and there was a lot of social work uh, that mm-hmm. was being done. So I worked with a lot of social workers. And you could routine, not routinely, but you could see uh, every once in a while compassion fatigue. And it's basically those people that are like caretakers and support systems for other people when they become just like drained and what ends up happening where, and it says, what does it look like uh, is part of the question. What it looks like from my experience is when they start practicing self-defeating behaviors as sort of a badge for all the work that they're doing. So in other words, like, oh, you know, I, I've been seeing all these things, these horrible things and hearing these horrible stories. I'm going to go have me a few drinks because I earned it, you know, and, and that few drinks turns into getting blacked out drunk or they start getting involved in abusive relationships because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, they're just kind of countering all the things that they teach people to do. So or I'm just going to go buy all this stuff, even though I can't afford it. Uh, it makes me feel good and I've earned it because I'm doing such great work. So that's my experience with compassion fatigue. Um, the way you move past it, and that's what the question is, how do you move past it, is really start to understand that you have to start taking care of yourself first. There, there, you know, it's, it, there are times when it's okay to be selfish. And so if you start taking care of yourself first, whether it's diet, exercise, meditation, prayers, sleep is a big thing. Uh, Cause I know a lot of people overlook that taking care of yourself first gets you to that level where you're then able to take care of other people. But if you're trying to take care of other people and wearing yourself out, and then you start harming yourself and some of these, what, what I'll say is self-defeating behaviors, then you're not taking care of anyone. So I don't know what mm. you guys thoughts are. Jose, yeah, so this I is think a, you understood differently than Frank <laughs> and Joe did. Yeah, I think I think I was on track with what you're talking about, and I think it's probably because I've had some mentors uh, really pour into me, um, especially when I was a first sergeant. Um, because, you know, I, I will tell you, most most first sergeants, man, they will suffer in silence, and they won't tell yeah. anybody when they're going through the ringer. Because yeah, whether it's the perception that um, they can't show weakness or whatever it is, right? But they will give and give and give to the point they have nothing left. And I remember um, early on in my career as a first sergeant, um, I was four months in and we lost two people in my squadron. Mm-hmm. That was tough. That was very tough. And I remember um, having to call a commander and, and let her know what was going on and then letting my chief know what happened. And, um, you know, four months in and I was like, I don't know what to do. So I'm like doing checklists and I'm up all night trying to figure stuff out. We got to let the squadron know. And that was hard. Um and I remember going in to talk to my, my commander, right? And, and, and she was human in that moment. And what I mean by that is sometimes, you know, you don't, everybody else doesn't see what they go through it all the time. Behind closed doors, you see the things that they struggle with and you see this kind of stuff. And um, I remember like, wow, this, you know, this sucks. We're going to get through this, right? Because it sucks. It's, it's just like if you lost one of your own children, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, uh, I don't want to, you know, play that down for somebody who's lost a child but it's a it's a very deep 
uh, hurt that happens. And, um, you know, even if there was nothing you could have done, you, you, you just second guess yourself and what could I have done to have, have fixed this? And um, I remember going through there and, and a, a chief, Chief Eric looked at me and said, um, you're giving up the phone. You know, the commander gave mm -hmm. you an order. You need to go take care of yourself because they saw something. I was different. I wasn't acting like myself. Mm -hmm. And I think compassion fatigue, you can see it when someone's character or the decisions they would normally do or maybe the patience they normally have isn't there. I right. think their cup is full. And I think it's a, it's about those folks that are close to them, those teammates to, to say, hey, man, you know, um, it's time to take a knee. It's time to put your mask on first, whatever yeah. you want to call it, right? Whatever thing you want to say. But it's time for you to focus on yourself and just mm -hmm. get back to you because right now your cup is full. You need to empty it. Um, and and I remember that, you know, the Air Force has had a really big push for that, right? <clears throat> Where you need to take a knee. You need to take a knee. And for me, I've never looked at that as a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of strength because you have to know yourself. Uh, you don't have to be a first sergeant. You could just be a staff sergeant supervisor who has an airman that's going through a bunch of stuff and you want to take care of them. And you have to know when your cup is full and when you have to get them to a professional to, to talk to them. You have to know when you need to take a break from yourself just so it's not affecting you. And uh, I know, you know, there was a time, a, a period of time during that uh, first sergeant tour where um, I could say my four pillars, none of them were good. None of mm -hmm, them, mm -hmm. not physical, not spiritual, not mental, not, mm -hmm. nothing, nothing was good. Right. And uh, it was just, you know, do one thing at a time. Right. Instead of thinking you got to work out at the gym for two hours, start with 30 minutes. Right. right. If, mm -hmm. if, uh, if your thing was spirituality and, and for you, you define that as church, you know, right now, Joe and I, we, I, I honestly never thought mm -hmm. we'd connect like this, bro, but I mean, mm -hmm. we're reading the Bible together. Right. Like that's, mm -hmm. I just never thought that would happen, but we're doing that. Right. And it's yeah. just like little pieces and you slowly just, start developing mm -hmm. that. So I think mm -hmm. um, when you see that fatigue, and I know mm -hmm. it's cliche, but um, I, I will say that that's all I've tried. Simple. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a maintainer. So the KISS principle applies. Keep, Keep it, it simple, simple, stupid. <laughs> so for me, I just work on each of those pillars a little bit. And eventually I just find that, I, that my cup gets, uh, it's emptied of the negative stuff and it's full of the positive <laughs> stuff. And then you're able to give to others. Um, and I think as a leader, you have to identify that in others too. And you only know that mm -hmm. because you've experienced it. Like, yeah. I see where you're going and I need you to try mm -hmm. these things to because I see what you can give and I know you can offer it. But right now, I got to pull some stuff off of you so you can get back to yourself. Jose, when you were, when you were in those moments of compassion fatigue, did you, did you ever notice if you're contradicting yourself? Like, like, I'm about self-care and I'm about taking care of people and, and I'm about, you know, mm -hmm. but, the, but you weren't doing that for yourself. Did, did you ever have that mm -hmm. realization that I am, I'm not, I'm not being the person that I'm telling everyone else to be. I think I found ways to justify it if I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it took people who I <laughs> admire and respect, who I still keep in contact now, closing the door and saying, Hey man, what's up. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and the first time it happened, I was actually a pro super uh, at Travis working C5s. And it was, a, it was a day where, uh, me and a subordinate, uh, clashed heads. Right. And, um, it wasn't good. And it took somebody else to come to me and say, Hey, what's going on? What are you talking about? He goes, you just talk to us like this. You never do that. Are you all right? Let's go, let's go get in the truck and drive away. Right. And this is a guy that was subordinate to me too. And I said, let's yeah. go take a ride. And we talked it out. And I said, thank you for that because I needed it. You know, he saw that I was not, 
I was not right, you know, and he, he helped me out. And then I think it sometimes it takes somebody else external of you to do that, especially if you're in a leadership position, because you want to be there for people, even if you don't mm-hmm. have nothing left. And right. It sometimes it takes someone to say, hey, no, I, I know you. <clears throat> Um, I know this isn't your normal character or the, the way you would normally handle business. And just go take, I got this, go, go take an hour, go take, go, whatever, just go step away mm-hmm. and, and take some time for yourself. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Joe, Frank, I have no idea what you guys thought compassion fatigue was. So. Uh, well, well, <laughs> let me, let me read this definition. It says indifference to charitable appeals on behalf of suffering people experienced as a result of the frequency of number of such appeals. I feel like that could also go that way that me and Frank were talking about. Yeah, like if people, yeah. people on red. You're not totally wrong. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Where, no, where'd you get I that think, definition from? Yeah, no, same thing. Same place that uh, Scott gets his commas from the Oxford. Sleep on the Oxford commas. <laughs> but, but, I, but I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that happens a lot in leadership positions, especially in first sergeant positions, you know, in the, in the service. But um, I think a good part, we, we have to understand too, like, yeah, definitely take care of yourself. But um, I remember I had a first sergeant that um, she would constantly, everybody would be waiting outside of her door. You know what I mean? Like constantly. And she would spend a lot of time working with me. It was wearing her out. And I was telling my leaders, you know, within my scope of responsibility, I was like, if you, you guys notice how many of your airmen are always outside her door? Like, yeah, I was like, well, I mean, like, you know, she's a senior NCO just like you guys are. She might mm-hmm. have more yep. resources at the finger, at her fingertips because she just calls them more. But, you know, I, I would feel like a little bit ashamed if my airman like I'm not doing my job line across the street <laughs> yeah. right like what are you guys doing you know what I mean and mm-hmm. then and then some of y'all are are telling them to go straight over there and yeah, not right. even mm-hmm. trying to yep. support them yourselves so mm-hmm. to me um as a team we gotta work that out and delegate some of that and make sure we're doing our own job because spread that out because it shouldn't be one person in the unit I don't care if it's a first sergeant I don't care if it's a chief mass sergeant yeah commander mm-hmm. or who it should be spread out and people need to just work take take care of people you know so no one does get that one person gets compassion fatigue spread it out a little bit yeah that's it was just, it's just that's true hey boss yeah i'm having trouble with daycare yeah go talk to first sergeant like yeah yeah easy cop button. out all the time right like yeah it's a cop out man i think yeah. i think when people do that right like you you if leadership was a patch on your sleeve here take it because i'm not one yeah. right like right, you, right right it's not just about um you know it's not just about mission accomplishment you got to take your airman it's part of your mission to take care of them. Right. And, and that was, that's always been a struggle, right. When you go into an organization and, and that's the way it was done in the past. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just got to kind of reshape things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's, and it's different too, because uh, if you go in a small organization as a shirt versus you go into mm-hmm. a large organization, I think sometimes yeah. it's, it, it gets forced on you because right. you can't care and feed for 700 by yourself. Mm-hmm. You have right, to develop right. everybody yeah. beneath you to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Frank, mm-hmm. compassion fatigue. <laughs> uh, so this, this is a, a term that's new to me, um, but the, the term is new, but not the feeling. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I start thinking about, man, what what causes compassion fatigue? And then, and, and then I was just, you guys were talking, and a thought hit my head: is, is I love, love to help people. People mm-hmm. come into my office, they have a problem, and I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm ready to solve that problem for mm-hmm. them. And then 
And then sometimes I do. And then when, when they leave my office, I got, I get a little high from that. Right. It's like, man, that's, that's awesome. I was able to make an impact in that person. The hero. Then, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then somebody else comes behind them and, and I'm solving that problem. And then, and then I'm just helping everybody. Yeah. Except, except for myself. Yeah. Because while I'm so busy helping everybody else, I, mm -hmm. I'm not helping myself by managing my own task, uh, managing my home life, managing all the domains that, that we're responsible for individually, uh, uh, managing my professional life. And, and so, yeah, if you don't, you know, you have that open door policy. If you don't close that door every once in a while, then, then you're never going to have that time to sharpen your saw, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think that's where maybe uh, compassion fatigue can come from. And I think it's important to know what it is to prevent, to prevent it from mm -hmm. happening to you. Do, do you ever, and this is sort of a carry on, do you, have you guys ever experienced situations where you felt like you were doing more for the person than they were doing for themselves? You know what I mean? So, so like they have a challenge or an issue and you just felt like you were giving more to solve that problem than they were willing to do for themselves. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I, what I've noticed when that's happening is you're trying to help them steer towards a solution and they keep on making excuses for every reason why that doesn't work. Right. And you're like, I just gave you like 14 different <laughs> options of at least a pathway to a solution. And, and you're not even like entertaining any of these, like, what do you want me to do? You know, I mean? Like, where are we going with this? Um, I think that happens sometimes. Anybody else? Yes. <laughs> I don't know who's Asian. I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I've been there. waiting for this. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, I, and I remember uh, talking, you know, luckily it, my first squadron, it was, it was, it was actually awesome because uh, I, I had an inpatient uh, mental health unit and mm -hmm. um, the person who was the, the prior acting shirt was a, a senior NCO in that field. And uh, he, he would ask me like, Hey, do you do any self-care today? And I was looking at him like, what are you, what is that? You know, I just came from the fight. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Hey, you, you need to go take a self-care moment. And I was like, what are you, I don't know what you're asking me to do. Right. And um, so, you know, we've grown close over the years and, and we've talked and stuff and it was good for him to kind of give the science behind a lot of those things, because then I was open to what he was talking about. Uh, but um, one of the things I also learned was, you know, when somebody comes in, you kind of, Hey, what's, what's your goal after leaving this meeting, what, what do you want to get out of this? Right. And mm -hmm. if it was not to get better, yeah. I didn't try to convince them of that. I, so yeah. I knew that it was my time to listen and ju I'm just going to be here to listen for you and we'll bounce back and forth. But, but if, you know, if they have like a, a clearly defined goal, then we kind of work mm -hmm. to that. Um, but, you know, sometimes if, if you have those folks that aren't um, willing to try to get better or, or find solutions, um, I would try different approaches. And if all my approaches didn't work, then I knew that my level of care or my ability was not sufficient to what they needed. And I had to refer them to somebody else to try to get help. That's what I would do. Yeah. How about you, Frank? Anything like that? Um, the, the original question was, do we feel like we're doing more for, for the person than, than they're doing for themselves? Uh, yeah, I, I guess at a certain point, but then, you know, eventually when I started to learn about sharpening my own saw, I just stopped 
I stopped solving somebody else's problems. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, that's not me throwing them out of my office. That's like, okay, you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what, what are you going to do about it? What, yeah. How, and how can I facilitate that? Mm-hmm. And then it puts the, it puts the onus back on that person, you know, yeah. and uh, I found that that's, that's a lot more impactful for them than, than anything that I could do for them. So. Good. Yeah, I think I think it can be completely draining if you're always giving more to people than they're willing to give to themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it. You know, I I I've had issues where I'm like, hey, you you got to meet me halfway at least. I can't keep bailing you out of issues and giving you advice and spending hours and hours behind closed doors with you if you're not willing to take some ownership, like you said, of it yourself. Um, and there, and there are some leaders that are willing to take it all on themselves. And that's where, mm-hmm. um, that fatigue can set in and you end up damaging yourself and, and your, your health and your well-being. So, all right, yeah. good. Yeah, go ahead. You got to know oh. your limits. You got to yeah. know your limits. You got to know what your bandwidth is. If people you'd like <laughs> to use that word, I don't have the bandwidth. I'm like, well, <laughs> I think it's important you understand what your bandwidth is. Like, what does that mean? I'm quick to right. say, nope, I can't do it. That's yeah. right. I'm, I'm not going to do that because it's just. Cause you got a bake sale to go to or something, right? Yeah, no, I'm I got some blocks some boxes to check, to check but, but you know, <laughs> yeah, but you know, sometimes those people too, it's like it's because they, they have a hard time um, helping themselves because they're not being honest with themselves and they don't mm-hmm. like you're sitting mm-hmm. there and they're telling you the problem. It's like, well, that's not even probably the problem. What you're saying, you're either avoiding the truth with yourself or you're avoiding a truth that you don't feel like dealing with right now, but you're bringing it all to me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. All right. How, here's one that I think that uh, we can all appreciate. Uh, vulner, vulnerability and leadership. Why don't more leaders share their weak moments with their airmen or their subordinates? Uh, hmm. Why don't they? I can say for me, again, growing up in my first eight, 10 years of service, we never saw it. We never saw it. And like I alluded to earlier, as I moved up in, in position and even in as a retiree in the civilian world, the closer I am to leadership and other folks in leadership positions, the more I realized they didn't know, <laughs> you know? So we're all like, I'm like, man, I thought you guys had, had this all locked down. And so thinking back, I'm like, well, I know those, those folks that were in leadership positions when I was junior, they didn't know everything. Why, why didn't they share those weak moments? Um, and I don't know, we can't really answer for other people, but we can probably um, assume that it's because they, they want to feel like if I'm, going to prove myself as a leader, I have to prove myself to be infallible or else I'm going to lose credibility with people. And I don't think that's the case for me personally. It's, I think the more you share your stories of your overcoming weaknesses, that's how you develop more credibility. What are your thoughts? I think I just changed the question. Well, no, this question, like the whole, why don't we show our vulnerability? I think you're still there, but it's just like that the motivation question that we had earlier and you could take it in so many different places right because the motivation thing was like i wasn't even sure what they're exactly they're asking we're talking about motivating a troop that 
you know, is getting in trouble all the time or a person yeah. to, to, to make them do more or what, you know what I mean? But when it comes to the vulnerability mm-hmm. thing, I'll be honest with you, there's timing involved in there too. And as a leader, I, and this might not be the popular thing to say right now, because everybody's wanting to use the V word as a, this popular thing. Right. But, but there, you got to discern who you can be vulnerable with, you know, as a yeah. leader, depending on what it is. Right. So um, there's some people that will, that you can be completely vulnerable with everything, every, everything that your, that your roommate, you know, that, that, that negative roommate in your head is saying to you. And those are people typically very close to you. Like, I feel that I can do that with you guys. I can do that with my significant other, right? There are certain people, but I'm not going to tell Airman so-and-so all the time about what's going on. <laughs> my, you know what I mean? That's just, I mean, like, let's just be real. But if it's like talking about, uh, I'm I'm not infallible and I make mistakes just like everybody else. Yeah, I'll tell people that all the time. Yeah. Right. Those those are so it really depends on what we're talking about when it comes to vulnerability. And it depends on who you're talking about. And there's timing also plays a big part because I think we'll be fooling ourselves as leaders if you don't think that if you're constantly out there freaking crying <laughs> or, or whatever it is, right? Everybody, somebody, let's all, right, you're let's upset, all, let's go yeah, in my office, yeah, we'll cry yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? I think, uh, you know, like, yeah, I want to follow that guy, you know, or that gal into war, you know what I mean? <laughs> whatever it is, like the same way I don't want to follow a, a leader who acts like they're always right and gets us in all kinds of deep trouble because of it, I, I also don't want to follow that leader who's always crying in the corner. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know what I mean? So, so it, there's definitely some parts there that we have to consider. Did you say the B word? Yeah, vulnerability. Yeah. That's vulnerability. what I meant, though. I, I didn't know, I don't know where this is going anywhere, but I'm talking about vulnerability. Is it the new, <laughs> is it the new hot... I, see, I'm yeah. not in the same arenas that you guys are in now. So. I, I, th- I think Brene Brown made it very popular <laughs> no joe i i, I can shout out i can agree with you joe I, I think if you're if you're always like trying to prove to your to your subordinates to your teammates you know to your co-workers that you're a vulnerable person that you can also you know become someone that's viewed as the f word which is fragile <laughs> I wasn't sure what that word was going to be either. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, like, and I've, and I've met leaders like that where they're like, something happened, something bad, and, and they just get very emotional. And you're like, geez, this person's pretty fragile. You know, like, it doesn't take much to, to shake them up. But, you know, going back to the original question is like, what prevents you from being vulnerable? I think ego has a lot mm-hmm. to do with that. Mm-hmm. Right. I think uh, mm-hmm. um, as soon as you figure out what what your ego is and how you get over yourself just a little bit, I think that'll help you um, interact with your, your peers and, and your superiors and subordinates um, just a little bit better. Um, and uh, that's something I struggle with every day. Ego is the enemy for sure. Yeah. I didn't even realize how much the ego was affecting me until I realized that, um, you know, I was unwilling to even accept help sometimes too. And I was like, oh, that's all ego, right? That's, yeah. that's ego right there. I think, uh, I think fear is a reason too. Um, uh, you don't know if you're going to be accepted if you are, you mm-hmm. show your vulnerabilities. Um, but I think that, you know, like, just like you were saying, Joe, um, you have to know who you can share those moments with. And and for me, most of the time where I feel like I'm the most vulnerable is those one-on-ones where you have somebody that comes in and they say something, you know, and, and in that moment, that is the worst thing 
that has ever happened to them or they can imagine. And you're like, you know, I've been there. So I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not showing you empathy because I'm thinking about it. I've been there. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know because this is the situation I was in, but look, look at where I've been able to get to because of what I've learned in that moment. And we're going to get through this together. But I think sometimes, you know, when you're in front of a bunch of people, it's this fear, like, oh man, they're just going to judge me because they're going to realize that, you know, I did X, Y, and Z before and, and, and whatever it is. But I think Mm -hmm. that for me, it's actually been kind of liberating and free and therapeutic. Um, When you see an airman comes in and they tell you like their real life story of what's happening and you can kind of have that empathy um, and talk to them from, from experience on, on what you can try and you see them kind of relax and they're like, ah, mm-hmm. I'm not the only one. Yeah. And, and I would say for anybody out there, um, there are very few things where you're going to be the only one. There, there are people mm-hmm. that have gone through very similar situations or that exact right. situation or something where they at least have something. So mm-hmm. um, don't hold it in. Find someone that you can talk to. Find someone you can trust. Um, it might be a leader that, that shows that vulnerability or it might be somebody else, but um, you're not the only one. So I think for me, once you get over that fear, and and then other people open up and then you it leads to more meaningful relationships at that point. Yeah. If we're going off the question too, that um, you know, that we're going off the assumption that a lot of leaders are afraid to share that vulnerability, which I think is true, right? I mean, that's a good assumption to make. Mm-hmm. Also, I think that we have to be careful when we make the assumption that people aren't showing their vulnerability, because that looks different for different people, right? You know, um yeah. I might be thinking I'm being vulnerable by sharing something that's to me very, you know, being very vulnerable. Whereas for Jose, he might look at me and be like, he didn't, that wasn't vulnerable at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's <laughs> nothing. Yeah. He did, you know, whatever it might be. So it's usually that's it, the opposite. There's that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or it becomes such a buzzword that you're expecting everybody right. in leadership yeah. position yes. to show yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. And if they don't outright show it, you start questioning yeah. their leadership. Like, yeah, you're supposed to be vulnerable. What's wrong with yeah. you? Tell us what's wrong with you. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm really good. I've had a pretty yeah. decent life and, you know, yeah. I've had some challenges yeah. here and there, but no, that's yeah. not vulnerable enough. I need to hear your yeah. horror, your tragedy or so. Yeah. just got to be careful with it. Um, and it's, it's, and I, I know it's a word that we've used in, in different episodes and, and stuff like that. But um, again, back to the question, why don't more leaders share their weak moments with their airmen or their subordinates? You know, I think we all touched on it. it we can't speak for other people, but I, I think a lot of people just don't because it's a, a question of, do I want to show my weakness or my vulnerability or my, uh, or my lack of hundred percent mm-hmm. infallibility? So, mm-hmm. all right. Um, so here's one, I know, uh, we use social media a lot with, uh, the llama lounge and a lot of llama leadership. So this question or more of a kind of a tossed out comment was when the leader you are, doesn't match the leader you portray on social media, <laughs> let's talk about it. What does that mean? I don't know. It was one of the it was one of the questions or yeah. things that was thrown out there. I may, maybe you know, it depends on what level of social media you're using. I guess like if you are They're talking about being representing roster. the organization on social media, you're you mm. can't always throw out your personal opinions and you can't mm. always throw out your uh, your detailed thoughts on things, but you know. So here's a here's something that makes me think. Um, uh, the question makes me think of is, uh, do you have two different personalities 
um, where, um, you know, I have two Facebook profiles, kind of, sort of. Yeah. One is, you know, Frank Zamorano, and I post a lot of work stuff on there. Mm -hmm. um, that's my life. There's no doubt about it, right? Mm -hmm. But the other one is with me and my wife, and, and I post a lot of maybe stuff with my family, and, and there might be more, like, something about, you know, how the Eagles are going to beat the Seahawks next year. Right. And it's confusing because I can't yeah. ever tell who's making lies the post. On there. You <laughs> I can't I can't tell who's making the post. You're your wife. And yeah. so I'm like, wait. Happy birthday to yeah, whichever birthday one of you is your birthday today. You. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be this it'll be this soft, Good. sappy post. Right. And I'm like, oh Frank, man, what a sweet yeah. guy. I'm like, oh so those Let's use this question to talk about how I can clean up my social media. <laughs> you got to quote yourself at the end. Yeah. Dad, I, I, and I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if um, the person asking this question, maybe they, they might have something specific that they are referring to. Um, but, but I think it, social media is tricky. You can never hundred percent trust that what's on social media is a, is a person's entire life. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you know, some of us, I'll just post funny stuff or I'll, I'll post church stuff, but I'm not going to post the conversation that I had with my wife about, you know, mm -hmm. bills, or I'm not going to post the conversation that I had with my kids about their grades. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't necessarily, they don't match who I yeah. am. And like you said, Frank, you have uh, a couple and I have, I have two uh, social media, Facebook pages as well. One that's Kind of friends and family, and then one that's more uh, work related. But um, mm -hmm. you're on know. the gram. What's that? You're on the gram. He ain't. No. I'm not on the Instagram. No, He's no. like, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I heard we. Are, have you, are you on the talk? I'm not even on the talk. We do have an Instagram. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, so yeah, next question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, did you guys have any I, other thoughts on no, that? I, so so I, I I interpret it maybe. I can interpret it a couple of ways, but I think one might be that, Hey, people are like, we talked about people are portraying their perfect lives up front yeah, and maybe they're not showing enough of the other side on my social media. I try to show, you know, the successes and the failures. Um, but like you said, who's going to like, there's some stuff that's just private, like private yeah. with your, with your family and stuff, you know, whatever that mm -hmm. might be. So yeah, I'm not going to post all that stuff, but there are probably some other people out there though, that are posting a lot of stuff and then they're, they're not like that. Like they're, they're, they're doing impossible. I mean, yeah, they're, they are imposters they're, they're probably imposters. showing a lot of um, a leadership and they're posting all this stuff when they go to work, they're not investing in their people at all. You know I mean? It's just like the complete opposite. And there's probably a lot of different reasons for that. Maybe they're not comfortable in real life and they're like good behind a keyboard. I don't know. You know what I mean? There could be some of that and maybe um, they're trying to impress versus inspire. You know, they're trying to make themselves look all superhuman, but they're not really out there trying to show people the other side of things. So, I mean, there's a lot of the reasons why people do, what they do yeah it's kind of like leading a bake sale mm -hmm. people will put they'll put on the performance report that i led a bake sale i just want to make like, sure everybody fully <laughs> grasped that scott green really hated bake sales when he was in the <laughs> i didn't mind them i just you know matched the uh accolade to what you actually did you know i led this i'm like you collected money from people buying brownies. You didn't lead anything. You managed it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, 
there was a time, and I don't know if it's still like that. You gotta raise money to when, to, when the, to, to to get events, though. You know. Yeah. Like, no. 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 That's what I'm saying. Bake I, sale I, or burrito sale. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about the the terminology that goes along oh. with things. When when people, I had a chief one time that uh, I was probably I think I was a tech sergeant, and uh, he was a mentor of mine, and I'm still friends with him. And I would, hey, would you mind looking at my performance report or an award or something like that? And I think I put something like manage this project or manage this program. And he was like, you don't manage anything. You want to get promoted? You lead everything. <laughs> I'm like, oh, 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 I, love I led <laughs> the restructuring of a file cabinet. Like, what do you mean I led it? It's, yeah. you know, so that's where I, just be careful with the terminology. Yeah. That's my, yeah. that's my only thing. All right. I don't even know what question we're on anymore. Okay. We talked about social media. Okay. Okay. Here's a good one. We'll, we'll do two more and we'll, and we'll sort of wrap it up. Uh, can you give an example of an instance where you failed as a leader and what you learned from it? Nope. Never failed. No, nope. uh, we're uh, next question. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, give, this goes back to I'll, give, I'll give, I'm going to give one from, uh, I'm going to give one from last night. Um, so, so, um, I am, I, I do a lot of, I do a lot of thinking. I do a lot of, I mean, I constantly am, um, you know, evaluating interactions and conversations and I yeah. should have said this word. I, I'm all always doing that. Right. So, yeah. but, um, but Question yesterday yourself. in particular, yeah, yesterday in particular, um, I, you know, my position was I wanted to try and bring some capabilities to my unit and, um, the the different sides of a chain right at the at the tactical level and the more strategic level they they weren't speaking to each other and i wasn't really getting any information on it and i was i was frustrated before i even made a phone call mm -hmm. and i was talking to someone who was in rank subordinate to me but we were trying to talk and um one of my one of my pet peeves is 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 if if i'm speaking then then respect me and allow me to speak and it has nothing to do with rank it's just as a person and if mm -hmm. you speak, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to listen to what you have to say. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking, this person was very passionate, which I called them later and apologized because I didn't want the interaction to end that way. But um, they wanted to get their point across at the same time as I was speaking. And I just I was pissed. Like I, I lost. I was frustrated. Right. And I was like, uh, listen, I respected you when you spoke. You need to respect uh, me when I speak. Right. And it has nothing to do with position or rank. Right. Even though a mm -hmm. lot of times it can be interpreted as, oh, this person is just high and mighty and they feel mm -hmm. like. It had nothing to do with it, right? It was a pet peeve. And I think you have to know what your pet peeves are, you know? And I know for me, that is that is definitely like my, that's one of my biggest, right? Just just like integrity. What is? Like just, what's one of your biggest? <laughs> there you go. See, I'm going to do a nervous laugh talk so, so I don't get upset. Is that what's your yeah. biggest? Yep, that's it. So like when you try speaking? Mm -hmm. You should keep going. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So I, I realized what it was and, and, I, and I got off the phone and I said, ah. Oh, you know, it was it was in conflict with what I thought about as far as uh, leadership, right? Because this person obviously was educated; they knew where they were coming from, and we were just at a disagreement, and that that could have ruined a relationship. That would have ruined our ability to move forward in another project or a different mission or whatever. And this one thing, singularly, is not that important, right? Mm. The the relationship is what matters for my squadron, and that's my goal. So um, I called a couple friends and I was just like, oh, this happened, blah, 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 got, got it off my chest. Then I called them back. And, and for me, I needed to say, look, I apologize for that getting the way that it did. That is not what I want for this relationship. I respect you as a person, that kind of thing. Um, 
and and let's move forward. And they apologize and we move forward, right? And and I think you know the relationship will get better because I think we know where we're at and we'll just move forward together uh, collectively. But um, you have to know what your pet peeves are as a leader because yeah. or, or or even if your cup is too full, you might not need to come in at that time because you might <clears throat> blow up on mm-hmm. someone that doesn't deserve it or yeah. you just might not give the best advice because you're not thinking clearly, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think you have to know your limits. You have to know your pet peeves. Um, so you don't affect someone that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine actually probably fits the same. It's kind of in the same realm with the pet peeve thing, but, um, I have, I have real issues when people won't take accountability, right. For, for their actions, especially as leaders and senior NCOs, when they won't own, um, their, their role and they're making excuses quite a bit. So, um, the last time I remember I pro- like a, a failure like that was um, probably lighting up a senior NCO in front of a good crowd of people. You know what I mean? Like, cause, and they're, they're continuously just not owning what they're doing. And, um, and that was a failure on my part. Cause that should have been a closed door discussion. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but um, it just drove me cause we talk about iceberg beliefs. Right. And I just think that, you know, leaders should own what, you know whether it's the failures of their subordinates or their own failures and at least their responsibility their role in that in that um, failure and um this particular one had a had a good habit of finding the reason why it was everybody else's fault and and circumstances always dictated why there was a failure in his work center and um i just had it one day and just lit him up in front of a good number of people including uh, one of his subordinates, which that was a big no-no, right? So I had to apologize to him later on, but damage was done. Yep. So something I learned that, you know, I got to control myself more. And typically I'm I'm pretty under under control. I think it was just, that one just hit the button and it kept on hitting the same button mm-hmm. enough times where I just kind of cup floweth over, just like Jose said. Yeah. Frankie. All right. So listening to you guys. I, He's like, I, I once killed a guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was a mistake. And Where did you get that training? And, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I laughed a little. <laughs> I love lamp. <laughs> no, uh, so a lot of my failures are based off of assumptions. Yeah. Right. And, and I can only perceive things as I am right. Not as the world is. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'll make an assumption on somebody's behavior or the way that somebody's acting or their performance or what they said. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not in line with, you know, where I think they should be. Right. And so then I'll, uh, I'll make this assumption based off of my own perception and perception drives behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I, if I already have this assumption that somebody's not meeting the mark or, or how they how they're behaving or how their performance is not meeting a mark. Mm-hmm. I, I'm coming into the communication and I'm coming into that interaction. I'm coming in hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then you're in the middle of that thing, and then you find out this little tiny detail, <laughs> little tiny detail that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. But it's too late because you've already mm-hmm. stuck your foot in your your foot in your mouth. Yeah. <clears throat> Right. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what what an idiot. You know what I mean? So, well, at I've that done, point, you've gone too far. You might as well just go all the way in. Right. I had my my last squadron. I was in. Um, uh, I had a really good relationship um, 
with 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 my chief and um she said you know shirt sometimes sometimes beat you get, get they get you already they load up the gun but they wet your powder right like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. work they didn't give you all the information <laughs> or they didn't tell you the part where they messed up and you go in there ready to you know defend this the honor of your squadron and you don't got all the information and you end up leaving apologizing and you're like why did you do that to me <laughs> Man, you as you guys, as you guys share these stories, I'm I'm just kind of like, man, I am good. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> you're the, the most humble. You're the yeah, most humble. I'm the Kanye West of humility. <laughs> no, as you as you guys share these stories, I'm constantly I, like, I had one situation in mind that I wanted to share, and then like as each of you spoke, I'm like, I was reminded of other failures, <laughs> and I'm like, man, man. But I'll tell you that my failures became my best lessons, you know? And mm -hmm. so you, you, and it's stuff mm -hmm. that I've taught moving forward. Like, Hey, here's things that you want to, want to look out for. Um, and, um, I'm not sure which one to share, which, which, which example, um, I also, okay, here's a good one. I remember we had a, uh, like a short notice all call, not even all call. It was all, it was just NCOs. They wanted all the NCOs. The commander wanted all the NCOs there and he was going to chew people out for whatever reason. I don't remember what the situation was some sort of failure with all the NCOs in the, in the squadron. And as a senior NCO, we were standing up in the back. So this is uh, at Travis Air Force Base in the uh, auditorium. And so we're standing in that back kind of observing all the NCOs, you know, <laughs> arms crossed and, you know, yeah, they better be listening to the commander. And there was one young lady in my flight who had her phone out. And I walked down to her and I was like, get up, come with me right now. And I said, we're in here because the NCOs are failing. You guys are not paying attention. You're not holding up your responsibilities as NCOs. And I go, and you're over here texting on your phone during the middle of this commander's you know, presentation. And, and she turns the phone towards me and she says, I'm taking notes. And I looked and she was literally typing everything the commander said. And I was just like, as you were, go <laughs> <laughs> back your seat yeah. right so uh yeah huge failure there well next time um, get a notepad yeah yeah like a, like a normal nco you get you're issued a green hey. notepad and your skillcraft government pen that's what you use yeah cell phones dang millennials no but uh and, and then and then i've had other ones where i just assumed that um junior enlisted folks uh, one or two wanted to take the same career path that I did. And, and so I tried to put them in situations and positions that they just weren't comfortable with and weren't happy with doing. And, and I thought, well, I enjoy doing this stuff. I don't mind presenting here and being in, in, in public and, and being in the spotlight. You should want that too, if you want to move up in rank. And, and I remember one guy just completely frustrated and just embarrassed because he had to do that. And, Later on, I go, hey, good job up there. That was great. Didn't you enjoy that? And he goes, I hated it. He's like, I hated every single second of being up there. And you made me do it. And I was like, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> you know, but it was one of those things where it was one of those guys that he wanted to do, come in, do his four years and get out. He wasn't interested mm -hmm. in, you know, being uh, a, an award winner or getting promoted. He just wanted to come in and do his thing. But I made the assumption that everyone wants to, you know, rise to a certain promotion or rise to a certain rank. And that's not the case for everybody. So I, I didn't understand what his motivation was. And that was a mistake on my end.
and I'm sorry, guys. And then you go. <laughs> no, 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 but then, then, then he got out of the military and went on to a very successful career. And well, that's because of your leadership. You got out. Of yeah, I forced him. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Man, we might have to edit this. Out. <laughs> this uh, all right. This is good so, so, so this is a good one. This is a question that I like ask asking um, people in leadership positions. Um, and so I think this is a pretty cool one and we'll probably end it on this one. So what was the most, excuse me, what was the pivotal moment when you realized the gravity and responsibility of leadership, for instance, when you saw it more of a calling and part of who you are rather than a role that you play? It's a long question. I'll go because I know exactly when it was. Uh, it was my second deployment. Um, I was in Balad, Iraq, and uh, I was at the Air Force Theater Hospital because one of one of the one of the folks that was on this team that I was working on, he had, he had worked there and he talked it up and he talked about how you should go there. I don't know if anybody's been to Balad at the theater hospital, but it was it was an intense place. And I remember um, I remember we got was it a, a call hard facility or it was intense. Tense. Yeah, there were there were tea berries around you, but it was, it was a intense. Joke. It was a joke. Oh, my bad. <laughs> you said it was an intense place. No, intense. it was a, it was a pun. Wow. I just didn't realize I, wow. I didn't realize I gave it. That was good. Yeah, sorry. You were answering all serious too, and I ruined yeah. it. Sorry. Yeah, it's all good. It was definitely intense. But anyway, um, we're there, and, and this aircraft, this uh, this helo comes in, and we got to go out to the helo, and we we have to pull off some uh, some wounded folks. Um, and I remember uh, grabbing the gurney, and you're, you know, you're under the blades and, and you start pulling them out. My hands were all wet. And I was like, what the hell's going on? Why is my hands wet? Well, it was, it was blood, you know, and this was, this was one of our brothers or sisters in arms that, you know, just become a, a fatality, I guess, right? Not, um, or casualty, wrong word, right? Casualty. And um, we go and there was, a, there was this one tent where the American flag was draped over you. And I think it was the Highway of Heroes. I can't remember Heroes, what, what- Heroes Highway? There was, yeah, Heroes yeah. Highway, and I remember going under that with this, with with the with the gurney and, and taking them in so they can take care of them. And I was like, dang, like wow, you know. And at that moment, there was no other place I wanted to be. Right, we were mm -hmm. right there with someone who was willing to, you know, their their the the most that they could give for their country. And I remember, I remember looking at that, and I was like, this is this is what I want to do. Um, this is what I want to do. Right, being around someone who's willing to do that. And then you think about the other folks that are there because we were volunteering our off time. And at that point it was six days on, one day's off, 12 to 14 hour shifts on the days on. And on the day that you're off, you know, the people that were there, the ones that were around me, they were there on their days off to take care of somebody else. And I was like, this is, these are the people I want to be around, right? Somebody that's willing to give their last measure to help someone else was, was something that motivated me. And I, I think about that, you know, in the day to day, whether it's, you know, generating aircraft or, when I was a shirt in the LRS or in, in the hospital. Um, and you, you think about those people that sign, sign the dotted line and, and say, I'm willing to do that. And for me, that's when I'm like, okay, if they're willing to do that, then I'm willing to give that extra as a yeah. leader to try and take care of them, you know? And that was, that was my moment. Good. Good. Frank, you got to follow that Joe. Oh yeah. Joe, go ahead. And we can't hear Joe. I think he's muted. Oh, we lost them. 
Um, no, he oh, my bad, my bad. So uh, yeah, Jose should have went last, but he... <laughs> <laughs> all the all of our stories are gonna pale in comparison. I, I was I was also with Jose in that hospital, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and we looked at each other and thought, "Man, this is the moment. This is yeah. the moment right here." That we connected, yeah. <laughs> and we made a pact that for the rest of our lives. But, but, you, you did but, the blood brothers. Yeah, and that's yeah. when the warriors were born. Yeah, but I was like. <laughs> Just a side item, though. He talked about signing the dotted line. Scott, when you joined back way back in the day, was the line actually dotted or was it like solid? Like when it I was a chisel. They had those oh, chisel rocks. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was trying we, to figure we, out when we, was this line dotted. We talk about this dotted line all the time. Yeah. Our pay, our pay uh, rate was determined using an abacus. They had to like slide it over. And, uh, <laughs> See, this is how much you're going to get paid. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't have a. Uh, a moment like Jose, I think my my big thing was just I think the first time that an airman or a CGO actually came to me and, and you know asked me something very simple, you know, I mean, just asked me some for some leadership advice, and I was like, "Who are you asking?" Like, I'm the guy behind <laughs> me, you, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and you look at it, and you're like, "That," I mean, that escalated quickly. You're like, I don't even know when yeah. that you know started happening, and then. And you realize that, oh, you have, they're actually looking at you, you know, and, yeah. and they're taking notes and they're actually like going to execute what you tell them to do. And they're talking about, you know, their mm -hmm. life decisions. And you're like, oh, this is for real now. This is for real, mm -hmm. real. You know, it's not just me, you know, navigating through life. It's, it's me being responsible for other people. So um, I can't, I can't come up with exact specific one, but um, I know that it, it was, it was definitely a time when someone came to me with, with just literally just truly just asked for advice. And it was a personal life type, you know, decision. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, uh, and I'll let you go last Frank, cause I'm going to just bounce off of Joe's. I, 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 I think Kanye on that one. Yeah. I'm, sorry. I'm going to let you finish, let you finish. but uh, <laughs> Joe had the best answer. No. Um, yeah, mine was a lot like that. I, I think I was probably technical sergeant, maybe. And uh, people started coming to me for advice, not just junior ranking people, but higher ranking people started coming to me for advice. And I'm like, who me? Like, it's kind of like Joe said, like, you, you want my advice on something? And that's when I started realizing that uh, people, people will take heed of what you're saying and they'll, and they'll go with it. Um, and that's when I realized, okay, I got to be careful with what I'm saying. Like, cause if people are looking at me in a certain position and they're expecting me to give them some sort of advice or guidance or direction, I better take it seriously. Um, and, and I think from that point on, um, I've, I've always been one of those people that I've always felt the calling to help people be better. Um, when, when I, when I first came in, I was in uh, nutritional medicine and so one of our jobs was counseling, you know, heart attack patients on how to lead healthier lives. And I remember being, I was probably 19 years old, with one striper, if I even had a stripe at that point, in a room full of these people who have like health issues, and I'm doing this class, and I'm like, I could actually change their lives if I, if I do this right. And so since then, I've always had that passion for taking care of people. I don't know if I would always call it leadership. Um, but I think, a, you know, a leader is somebody that actually has someone else's best interest in mind, whether it's um, 
the organization's best interest or the individual's best interest. A leader is somebody that wants to get people into a better place than where they're at. So that's, uh, it, it was pretty young where I, I figured it was a calling to, to teach and train, but it was really um, probably about midway through my career when I realized the, uh, the true brevity of, of leadership. Yeah, um, I'll, uh, I'll take on this last one here. So mine probably was just, it wasn't one thing. It was a gradual transformation into like who I am today, right? And so it, it, it happened as early as I was an A1C and my shift supervisor says, hey, what do you want to do, Z? What's your call, right? Those little, those little things, those little moments, you know, as an A1C, who's like a forklift operator and I'm given the decision, I'm given the authority to make a decision uh, with this multi-million dollar piece of equipment. That's a big deal. You know? yeah. And so that, so that led into, you know, other, other situations where now I'm the supervisor and, and I can make these other decisions. And, and so those things, and then um, ultimately I think it really set in when I worked at Harriman leadership school and as an instructor, um, you really got to see these these uh, these airmen transform into. Oh man, I get to be a, a supervisor in the United States Air Force, and when you see them change, it makes you change. Yeah, um, and then and then you're responsible for that change. Uh, that even makes it uh, more rewarding. You want to get better at it, right? Yeah, because because yeah. you're like you're like, hey, I'm 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 pretty decent at this. But then more and more people keep giving you feedback about how you impacted them. And so then you're like motivated to, I'm, I'm going to actually, how do I become better at, you know, whatever it is you're doing? So, yeah. All right. Yeah, and then you also have the moments where they're like, Hey, nobody's else, nobody else is here. So do you want to make this decision or. <laughs> <laughs> Here's it. And, and kind of closing out this answer or this question is, you never know what your leadership moment's going to be, right? And, and so it's always important to, um, we had, who was it? We had an article talk, talking about graded events, like everything's a graded event. And we had a episode about it. You just never know when that moment's going to be. You never know in that moment when someone comes up to you for advice or direction, you never know that impact that you'll make on them. And so I would just say, again, from learning from mistakes to always be careful with those responses so that you are taking care of people because you never know which way they're going to go with it. So yeah. shout out to Mike Roderick. That was his. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's good. All right. Any final words, gentlemen, this was, this is good. I had a good time. Um, it's, it's 2 a.m. So I don't have any final <laughs> words for me, but appreciate it. Right. I, lo I love seeing your guys' faces. <laughs> it's 2 a.m. Um, <laughs> Frank, what time is it where you're at? That's a no uh, for me, dog. It's going on eight. So I'm making oh, it's eight. Oh, it's eight. Okay. Me and Jose are just hitting the prime of Saturday night right now. I'm like, yes. yeah. UFC's about ready to, for this uh, UFC, baby. Yeah, Let's UFC's go. about to come on in about four minutes. So this me is probably a Joe good really time to. You guys. We, love, we love you guys, too. Yeah. Heart hands. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad I can't see the heart hands. That's Joe. Did you snap that? No. Oh I, no. I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> All right, Love you guys. <laughs> well, hey, we uh, we appreciate these questions, and um, this was this was a good, a good time. 
Uh, it also gives us a chance to catch up because we haven't done it uh, in a little bit. But uh, for those that did submit, thank you so much. For those that we couldn't get to your questions, uh, we'll try to do this again some other time. But right. uh, with that right. said, hey, do the hard hands again. To, what's that? Do, do the hard hands again. All right, Everybody snap the photo hands. now. Oh, that. nobody else. Dang, <laughs> Got, you it. Me up. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Got it. And 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 Frank looks disgusted. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> how dare you do hard hands? <clears throat> All right, folks. Cool. We appreciate it. Thanks for your support. With that said, stay safe, be healthy. Llamas are out. Llamas out. Llamas out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.